We are finishing Leviticus 23 tonight. We're going to read verses 33 to 44. Um, Also, if you're new or didn't know, we've been in Leviticus since day one of this uh, Abide starting. We've done pretty good, you guys. We've literally read every verse in Leviticus. We have like four chapters left. I honestly don't know what we're doing next. So if you have an idea, a request, just let me know. Praying about it. Uh, But Leviticus 23, verse 33, I'm going to read it and then we will pray. Leviticus 23. All right. And the Lord spoke to Moses. That's awesome. Saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying on the 15th day of this seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, which just means a meeting. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days, you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of a holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, drink offerings, each on its proper day, Besides the Lord's Sabbath and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord, or the feast of booths, seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. And on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs, or boughs, I think, of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. It's like tents. Booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. God, thank you that. As it said, you spoke to Moses. And right now, when we open your word, God, you speak. You speak. God, these are not my ideas. These are not humans' ideas. These words came from heaven, came from you, God. So right now, we just, we want to hear from you, Lord. We want to hear about you. We want to be encouraged by you and, and kind of corrected by you in love and Above all, we just want to see Jesus. We want to see the glory of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Do you help me just to make clear to, you, to this room, to all of us together, what you've already said? Help us together to hear. Give us ears to hear. Would you come now, Holy Spirit? Bless this time with your presence. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, here's a little raise a hand question. How many of you guys are like, you're like into camping? Like that's a thing. You like like camping. Yeah, that's cool. Any of you guys don't like camping? Just be honest. Yeah, no one's, yeah, a little bit. I like that. Some honesty. Uh, so 
I grew up, I didn't like camping. I didn't really ever camp. Um, and my wife and I got married and I don't know how this happened, but we we're like, let's register at REI. So we're like, yeah, that's a good idea. So we did. Then we got all the camping gear. Like we didn't own any of it. We got a, like all the camping gear. So then we're like, I guess we got to go camping now. So one of the first times we ever camped, her family like has just a motorhome like the size of this room. And like they go up to the Sierras, like high Sierras, like June Lake area, if you know where that is, like above Mammoth, by Yosemite, like this, it's honestly like heaven. So we went, but we're like, no, but we're going to stay across the street in like tent camping. And it's like, we're going to be rugged. They're going to be living it up. So we go, we set up our tent. Um, and the first thing that happens is I, we're like sleeping and I almost have like, I almost die of an asthma attack. And I think I've told you guys this story before. I like, it was just one of those where it's getting worse and it's worse and worse. And I didn't realize like, oh yeah, the mountains, like more allergies, blah, blah, blah. And so I, it was like hours of just, if you guys have asthma, it's honestly like, it's like you're breathing through a straw and you're panicking and you're almost gonna die. So I made it through that night. We're like, no, we got this, we'll stay. Then it was like the next night and we're sleeping and Ariana's always, my wife is, she's like, are there bears? I'm like, yeah, but there's not really bears. Like people say that. And so we're kind of sleeping and then we hear like the pots and pans, like pretty close. I'm like, hey, get out of here. Like pots and pans, pots and pans. We're like, we wake up, it's like two in the morning. You're like, yeah, maybe there's a bear, but probably not. I was like, let's just go to sleep. And she's like, honestly, I, I can't sleep. So I was like, so we get in the car and I'm like, we'll just drive around until this bear that doesn't really exist goes away. So we're like driving around. It was kind of like a couple loops in the campground. So we're like dri- making a loop and uh, our campground's like right here and there's a road that goes through it. There's a campground on either side of the road. So we're like driving through the campground. It's three in the morning. There's nobody out. There's nothing going on. And we're just slowly driving and like we roll up right next to our campground. Our campground's right there. And I, my window is down and I'm just so tired. And I look to my left and there's literally a bear sitting on his butt, just happily like eating food. And his face is right where my face is. And he's not even, he's just like, just eating, just looking at me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And my tent is like 10 feet from it. And I'm like, do I even tell Ariana doesn't notice. Maybe I just don't tell her, just keep going. And I actually did that. I, did, I just kept driving and then I turned around and I was like, yeah, there was a bear right there. And so then I turned on my like headlamps and just, you know, like gunned it and he like ran away. But that was like our first time camping. And uh, like, I like camping. Now I do like it, but camping can also be really hard if you guys have ever camped. Like camping's fun and it's hard. Like the next time or like one of the other times we went camping, it was just like rained the whole time, which is like, yeah, it's nice, you're in nature, but like you're trying to cook on your stove and it's just like, I was like, oh my gosh. So we like to camp, but it's hard. Now, okay, now this festival, the festival of booths, the feast of booths is about camping. That's what it's about. This festival was a time where you, this, the people of Israel remembered, hey, we camped for 40 years in the wilderness. If you were an Israelite and you were delivered from Egypt, you camped in a tent for 40 years, which basically means everyone who had been delivered died camping in the wilderness. They camped for 40 years. And so God says, I'm going to make this festival. And I want you to remember every year that I delivered you from Egypt and I took you into the promised land. But for 40 years, you were living in the wilderness. Okay. So camping's cool. It's beautiful. But if you're camping and it's the wilderness and there's no water and there's no food, and there's no protection from wind and sandstorms. Like, they lived that way for 40 years. They didn't go hunting. 
they didn't have like streams of river. It's the wilderness. Like they lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And the only way they survived is God supernaturally took care of them. Every day when they woke up, there was bread on the ground called manna. And they would fill up their water at some place and then it would run out. And then like they'd all freak out and Moses would like strike a rock and water would come out and they'd fill up all their water again. Like God supernaturally provided for them for 40 years. And so he says, I want you to remember that that is where you once were. The purpose of the festivals, if you've heard this, that's pretty much the entire chapter of 23. It's all these different feasts and festivals. The purpose of the festivals was this. God says, I want you to remember and proclaim what I've done for you. That's why they would have these festivals. It's like a holiday, but it's to remember what God has done for them. So this festival, the festival of the booths, has five things. You guys ready? There's five things God wants us to remember and proclaim when they celebrated this. And the first thing to remember is this. God is saying, remember where you were. Remember where you were. Uh, If you look at your Bible, look at verse 43. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of, what does he say? Egypt. He says, remember where you were. Where were they? In Egypt. Now, they weren't like on vacation in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. You guys, that's longer than, that's like every American being enslaved. And like we have another 150 years to go of that. It was that long of slavery. And God says, you need to remember where you were. You guys, Egypt was literally built on the backs of slavery. It was literally built. The pyramids you see, slaves did that. Slaves made that. And we don't know exactly what the Jews built, but like they were 400 years enslaved building stuff for Egypt. Like you could go to Egypt and there will be things there that possibly the the Israelites made as slaves. And at the end of their slavery, they were making bricks without straw, which is like an essential component. Like it was not a good place where they were. God says, remember where you were. And it wasn't a good thing. And so here, listen, here's, this is a point already. When life gets hard for you, and it does get hard, you guys know that, and it's gonna continue to be hard. When life gets hard, you need to remember where you were and where you would be if not for the Lord. That is something we need to do. God's saying, hey, you're not a slave anymore. If you're some Israelite and you're like, oh man, life is hard. There's a famine. There's like a little bit of food. God's like, you were a slave though. Remember, you were a slave. You're not a slave anymore. You're not making bricks without straw anymore. Remember where you would be. You guys, when life is hard, this is something we need to do. Remember where we have where we would be if not for the Lord. You guys, I've I've said this before. Did you know you were slaves? You were spiritually slaves uh, to a couple things. Number one, you guys were slaves to the law. Did you know that? Do you know if you're you're a Christian, there was a time when you were not a Christian, you were a slave to the law, uh, which means you have to like earn your righteousness, which means you have to obey everything in here perfectly. You guys we were set free from slavery to the law. Do you know what else you were a slave to? The, your flesh, your body, uh, like had a sinful like nature to it. You're made in God's image, but it was tainted. And you were born a slave to your sin and to your flesh. 
and you could only obey it. You were a slave. You weren't free. You weren't free to love God. You weren't free to please God. The Bible says no one seeks God. No, not one. You guys were actually a slave to all of your desires. When life is hard, you need to remember, hey, yeah, but you used to be a slave to your sin. And what else? Because of that, you were guilty for your sin. Uh, Paul says he always looks back on his life and he says, I am the chief of sinners. I was the worst of sinners. A lot of people uh, don't like being called a sinner. It's understandable. We like being, thinking of ourselves like we're special or we're awesome or something else. But uh, it's really important for you to have as part of your identity, man, I was a sinner. And in fact, even now, like Paul says, even as a Christian, I'm the chief of sinners. And it's important for us to look back, man, I was a slave to my sin. Do you know what else? Every one of us was born a slave to Satan. Do you know every one of us was a slave to Satan? Uh, The Bible says your eyes were blinded because Satan had like his hands over your eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. You could not look at Jesus and think he's good. You couldn't do that. You were a slave to your sin. Another verse says we were held captive to do his will. Because you were a slave to Satan. Just imagine being born a slave to Satan. Like that would be your life. Cool, I have a master and he's Satan. And I do what he says. Every one of us was a slave. And Jesus came and he set us free. You guys, Jesus is a rescuer. He comes and he says, I want to break chains. I, don't, I want to set slaves free. That's what Jesus does. He says, the law, nope, you don't have to obey that anymore. You're, you're free from that. Your flesh and your sin, if you guys are a Christian, you are set free from sin. You don't have to sin. You guys, look at me. If you're a Christian, you don't have to sin. You could actually live your life not sinning. You are not a slave anymore. And if you're a Christian, Satan is no longer your master. He's not. You guys are free from the grip of Satan. And we have to remember that. We have to remember, man, I need to, when life is hard or when I feel far from God or like I'm just in a weird place, it's so important to look back. And like, but I'm not a slave anymore. I am not a slave. I'm not in Egypt. But here's the thing. Do you know what's really interesting about slaves? I was just at a conference this week and this guy told a story of uh, slaves often run back to their old masters. Do you guys know that? It's a freak thing of human nature. But when you are raised a slave, It's as if you may be set free, but there's like the slave in you still that runs back to your old master. And we do that. You guys know um, the story of Harriet Tubman. She would deliver, like she would sneak people out of slavery during like the Civil War times and she would take them up to Canada and make them free. So she would be doing this and she actually carried a gun on her. And why would Harriet Tubman need a gun? Well, I mean, just why not? But like she had a specific reason And often she would go to this wherever, she would grab like five slaves and on the, on the journey, the journey all of a sudden would be hard and they were hungry and like they're scared and it was risky. Like it's, yeah, it's like a hard journey. And some of the slaves were like, honestly, what are we doing? At least I had food back there. This is literally true. And Harriet says, if you go, you die. 
You literally, I will kill you. Do you know why? Because the, the Underground Railroad was a secret. And if one slave went and exposed that, the entire operation would be ruined. And so what she did is she says, either freedom or you die. And so that's crazy, right? Like, no, but you were a slave. But there are times in life where slavery looks better than freedom. There are times in life, you guys walking with Jesus, where slavery to your sin, to the law, to Satan looks and will feel better than the freedom you have in Jesus. And we have to put that to death. We have to have like Harriet Tubman in our mind, like, nope, you are free. Don't go back. Freedom or you die. You guys, we're so prone to go back to slavery. Paul said in Galatians, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Isn't it funny? We'd have to tell a slave, stand firm, don't go back to slavery, but we do. You guys, we do. Human hearts run back to slavery. We know if you read the Old Testament, the Israelites did this. They, like, they were set free, and then they're like, oh, man, it was, wasn't it? Remember the meat pots? Remember how we used to just hang out at night and eat meat? And Moses is like, are you kidding me? You were a slave. But they're like, oh, what are you doing? Just, you just freed us to take us out here and die. Like, we wish we could go back to Egypt. And we do the same things. You guys, we go back to the law. You may not know what that means, but here's the thing. We, as humans, like earning our righteousness, we, you as humans, like when you do a really good job feeling like you've earned something more than everybody else. We like that. That's fun. I like that. I'm decently good at obeying some of the commandments of God. You know, like, we all have, like, certain personalities. For some of you, partying's like, not a thing. Like, if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't party. Like, yeah, it's just, but so we don't. And then we look around, we're like, oh, these people, like, I'm better than them. We like doing that. Some of you guys just have a different personality than others, and we all look around, and we like putting our identity in our performance. We do. We like it. It's kind of satisfying. We're so prone to go, to run back to, listen, to thinking if I do a good job, God is proud of me. And if I do a bad job, God is mad at me. We go back to that every single day. Did you read your Bible today? Yeah, I did. And I feel pretty good. Do you guys know what that is? That's slavery. It's slavery to think that you can earn your righteousness. That is slavery. It's literally satanic slavery. You cannot earn your righteousness with God. Did you just know that? Did you know how we get righteous before God? Did you just know this? The blood of Jesus alone. Not the blood of Jesus, and now you do a good job and you're a better Christian. You guys, it is slavery to think the better I obey this book, the more I, better of a Christian and the person I am. That's wicked slavery. And Jesus says, I'm setting you free from that. You don't earn your righteousness by doing good stuff. You earn your righteousness by coming to me. That's how you earn your righteousness. You guys, when I was in college, I was a slave to the law. And I put my identity in my religious performance. And when I was loving homeless people, I'm like, man, I'm freaking awesome. When I went to Habitat for Humanity on Saturdays, I was like, I'm awesome. And I'm better than everybody else. But then here's the flip side of that. When I didn't do it, I was depressed. And I was like, I suck. And I'm the worst Christian. And God's mad at me. And dang it, I need to get my act together so God can be happy with me again. And that life was slavery. It's slavery to earn your righteousness based on your actions. And Jesus says, I set you free. So stand firm. 
Stand firm. Don't go back to slavery. Because here's the thing. We also have an enemy, Satan. And we often, without knowing it, run back. We run back to this, and that's what Satan wants. Satan's whispering in your ear, hey, get your act together. Hey, start obeying. And when you don't do a good job, this is what he's whispering in your ear. Hey, God doesn't love you anymore. You haven't earned your righteousness anymore. You, like, you need to get your act together because he's a condemner. So when we go back to the law, we're also like running back to our old master, Satan. We run back to our old master, Satan. And here's another one. As slaves, when we run back, we run back to the flesh. We run back to our sin. We run back to those, to those deeds in our hearts that were like kind of satisfying in our sin. Um, it's as if our sin, you guys know this, whatever one obeys, he's a slave to it. When you sin, when we grew up without Jesus sinning, it, it, we had like chains and we were enslaved to our sin. Whatever sin it would be. Lust, it's slavery. We, we know that. We've experienced that. Whatever sin you would have, it's chained you as if you're in this jail cell chain, right? And Jesus came, and if you're a Christian, this is what he did. He busted open the door. He busted open the chains. He picked you up on, your back, on his back and like, we're going. And he set you free. But here's what we do. Man, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. And then we're going through life, and it's kind of hard following Jesus. Amen? Anybody? Just me? No, it's hard. It's hard. And we look back and we're like, oh, but man, I remember when I used to sin though. And like, that was kind of satisfying. There were times when my sin tasted good and felt good. And we look around at everyone else and we're like, man, I kind of, and don't, I mean, honest, let's be honest. Don't we do that? Don't we go just kind of fantasize back to that time? Like, man, I should have just done a little bit more. Like we go back. And do you know what we do when we sin? It's like, we're like, Jesus, thank you for delivering me. But we go back into our jail cell, we close the door, and we put our chains back on, and we sit down. Every time you sin, that's what you do. Yeah, Jesus, thanks, but I like that cold, nasty, wet slavery in the jail cell. So we go in, we close the door, we put on our chains. But listen, you guys, you may be right now sitting, metaphorically, in chains on the floor of a jail cell. Some of you may be in radical, secret sin. But if you're a Christian, guess what? Those chains are unlocked and that door is open and the jail cell and the Satan and all the people guarding have nothing and you are free to stand up because of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and walk out of your jail cell. Some of you right now need to hear that. You are not a slave to your sin. You are not. Listen, your sin is not bigger than Jesus. It's not more powerful than Satan. It's not better than the law. You, if you've come to Jesus, are a free person. You are free. And so you have to fight for your, you have to fight for your freedom. And so God says, man, when life is hard, remember you're not a slave anymore. Remember you're not a slave. That's the first point of the Feast of Booths. The second one is this. God says, I want you to remember I provided for you in the wilderness. Remember, I provided for you. If you have your Bible open, look back to verse 40. He said, you shall take on the first day of the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Okay, here's the point. What do they just bring to God? Do you guys pay attention even a little? What are they bringing? Like trees. Do you guys know where trees don't grow? The wilderness. So here's the point. 
God's like, hey, all these trees and leaves and fruit that you have, there was 40 years where you didn't get any of that. They went 40 years and never tasted fruit. I mean, that's crazy. They never saw a tree, maybe like a palm tree once, like in the middle at this little pot, like pud, like puddle. That's it. They never saw palm trees, never had fruit. And so God says for this week, you're going to take all the stuff that you never had and you're going to give it to me. And you're going to remember that what you have now, I've given you. And you're going to remember that even when you didn't have, I provided for you in the wilderness. I supernaturally made bread come to the ground and water come. And here's the point, you guys. We often go through seasons of wilderness, like dryness, like there is nothing here. I look around in my life and it's wilderness. I don't see a single tree or fruit or sweetness or refreshment. And listen, this is hard and true. It's one thing to worship God when life is good and he's providing for you. And you feel in your heart and emotions at church like, oh, I feel God. He's like, that's cool to worship God when it's good. But what about worshiping him when it's a wilderness? What about worshiping God when you have nothing in you or around you that says worship him? When it's barren, dry, no emotion, what is going on? That's another thing entirely to trust him in the wilderness. And listen, some of you guys have already been in the wilderness. Some of you may be in the wilderness. If you haven't, it's coming. It's coming. Wilderness seasons happen. And God actually, this is what God does to his kids. This is going to blow your mind. He often intentionally brings his children into the wilderness and intentionally walks with them in wilderness seasons. Because he wants to say, do you trust me even now, even here, when nothing else is going good? We see God literally do that in the Bible. He takes people into wilderness seasons. And man, when he took the Israelites through the wilderness, there were like two guys who trusted him. And the whole rest of the generation died in the wilderness. There was like literally two men. It's, it's rare to find someone who will trust God in the wilderness. And that's, that's where you learn, do I really trust God? Do I really believe his promises? God promised Abraham, hey, I'm going to bless the, the nation through your son. And 25 years go by. Could you guys imagine trusting God for 25 years and nothing happening? Could you imagine that? 25 years. I've never felt God's presence God said he's going to do something. It's been 25 years. That's like our life. Honestly, I don't know if I can make it like a couple days. That's when we learn to trust God. Um, God actually brought me through a, a wilderness season. I thought I was going to go to seminary and I was going to go just kill it down like at my home church and everything's going to go good. And long story short, uh, the Holy Spirit during a worship service really told my, uh, my wife and I, just put this sense like, God's like, that's not my plan for you. It's not my plan for you. And so we like didn't know where to go. So we just, we're like, man, the only thing we really know about Santa Barbara is like reality has been a good church and God's used it. So I guess we'll stay. And um, I like couldn't find a job and I didn't, I felt called to ministry. I'd, there was no open anythings for ministry and like literally years went by. And it was the season of like, man, my life is not what I wish my life was. 
And it was in that time that God's like, do you trust me? And he began to deepen my trust for him. And do you know what's cool? When you come through a wilderness season and you look back and you're like, but look how good God was to me. Like that is some depth to your relationship with God. That'll get you to this point where you're like, man, I don't feel God today, but remember what he did and how he got me through. So I'm gonna trust him. If this is another wilderness day or hour or week or year, he's good and he's gonna trust me. And so God brings us into seasons of wilderness and we need to remember, man, he was with me then. God was with me. God never left those Israelites and he never left me and he will never leave you. He will never leave you. Uh, there's this verse in Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Honestly, it's so good, you guys. Just Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Next time you're in a wilderness season, read this verse. It was a, it was a crazy time in Israel. Everything was bad. Like they were losing the promised land. Nebuchadnezzar, all these people were coming, taking everything away. Everything was horrible. And Habakkuk wrote this verse to God. And this is what he said. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Man, could you say that to God when nothing is going good in life? I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You guys know there's another wilderness. There was another moment when someone was denied the presence of God. It was on the cross. Jesus went through the most radical, you guys, the most radical time. He was actually rejected by God. Jesus was literally rejected by God. And not only that, he suffered the wrath of God. And it was in that season that God saved the entire world. And do you know what? Jesus was rejected so that in your wilderness season, you will never be rejected. Jesus was rejected from the presence. He was cast out of the presence of God so that no matter what you are going through, you will never have that happen to you. You will have God with you at all times. You guys, God is faithful in the wilderness. He's faithful and says, okay, guys, every year set a week aside and remember I'm with you in the wilderness. Point number three, God wants us to remember that this is not our home. This world is not our home. Look at verse 42. You shall dwell in, what does it say? Booths. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All Israel shall dwell in booths. Booths is a tent, okay? These people live their life in a tent. They camped for 40 years and they died. That's crazy. And God says, I want you to go outside and live in a tent and remember that this world is not your home. Tents in the Bible are significant. They like come up. Um, you guys maybe know about Abraham. God called him to leave his house and go live in a tent the rest of his life. Um, tents are a symbol of something that's temporary. 
right? You just pitch a tent, you take a tent down. Like, like Native Americans, they literally just lived in tents because they could just roll out their teepee and move somewhere else. Tents mean what is temporary. And you guys, God says the same thing to you. This world, the world you're living in right now is not your home. Do you know what you're called to do right now? Called to view your life as just pitching a tent. This life is like a vapor. This life, God says, is coming and it's gone. And listen, the, one of the greatest hindrances you will ever face in following Jesus is the idea that this life is where we get all the good stuff. This, that's, that's actually true. One of the greatest hindrances you will ever face in following Jesus is the idea that it's this life. It's all about this life. It's all about your pleasure right now. It's all about God's call for me right now. It's all about what is this life and what can I get out of this life? If you hold on to this life, you cannot follow Jesus. It is not about this life. This life is worth pitching a tent for a few years in the wilderness and then we're getting home forever. Guys, honestly, YOLO is so dumb. It is actually satanic. Hey, this is all you get. Get everything you can now, right now, and you're missing out. That is from Satan. This is a tent that you're living in for a few years. How silly to like, I want to focus on my tent when eternity is coming. Like eternity, that is your home. And it'll either be with the Lord or in hell forever. That is your home. One of those two places. How foolish to be all about your tent. I want the coolest tent. I want the best tent. I want all the coolest people in my tent. I want to experience the most stuff I can in a tent for a few years. Like that is so foolish. This world is passing. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It is not your home. Do you know what else is a tent? Your body. Right now, this body that we are like obsessing over how much do I weigh? How do I look in the mirror? Guess what? It's a tent and it's not lasting. Like, like we know that we're all like in the prime of our youth, just killing it. Yeah, I look great. Listen, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you're not looking great. I'm sorry. It's just true. And if you do, everyone's like, man, that's kind of weird. That 50 year old who's like shredded and tan and like, in a, like you know, we're like kind of like, I don't even think that's cool anymore. I don't know, maybe, but any, either way, it's a tent. Your body is a tent. It is not what life is about. And we in California obsess over our tents. You guys, if you uh, have quick fingers, flip to the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read 10 verses about this. First Corinthians 10, one, or sorry, first Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 1 through 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So Paul, quick disclaimer, he's a little obscure. He says lots of metaphors, just metaphor on metaphor on metaphor. So you'll be like, what is he saying? But hang in there, we'll get this together. We're going to read 10 verses out of 2 Corinthians 5. You ready? Here we go. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. M meaning like, you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven. For while we are still in this tent, 
we groan, being burdened. Not that would we, we would be unclothed, meaning die, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I mean, amen, right? And you guys like, let's just get this over with. So whether we at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Guys, his body is not our home. And just, I love that picture of life swallowing you up. And like, this would just be this weird little dream we had. Because now I'm like looking at God face to face. The Bible says you're going to get a better body, a new body. One that's like, doesn't get fat and old and break. One that literally is perfect. And you will be in a physical body, an eternal body forever on a new earth that doesn't have earthquakes, that doesn't kill people, that isn't broken forever. That is where we're going. And right now we're in this little tent. We're in this little tent. And so what's the point? Hey, be of good courage. Life is hard. Be of good courage. You have something far better coming. Be of good courage. And here's the thing. Not only does Israel remember that they used to live in tents, they had to remember that God lived in a tent with them, which is point number four. God says, remember that I camp with you. You guys, come on. God lived in a tent. Just let that blow your mind. They were in the wilderness for 40 years and God is like, give me a tent. I want a tent. I'm gonna hang out. And where was the tent? In the middle of their camp. And everywhere they went, God was in his tent, in the middle. Throughout all the years, never abandoning them. I am with them in their tents. You guys, God, he's God of the universe. And yet he humbles himself to live in tents, to be with us. Like that's who our God is. That's who our God is. I am God and I'm gonna leave and be in tents uh, if you have quick fingers, flip to Second Samuel chapter 7. I got to do that too. Uh, I'm going to read you a verse. Second Samuel, where are you? Before Kings and Chronicles, after Judges. Okay, Second Samuel 7. So quick backstory here. David is the best king in the promised land. Uh, I'm actually just going to read it. Here we go. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse one. We're going to read seven verses. Now, when the king lived in his, what does it say if you're there? His house. And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. How about that? God's like sleeping out back in the tent while we're in houses. God's in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and he said, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you 
build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Okay, here's the point, you guys. We think like somehow God needs us and we can like do stuff for God and we can like provide for God. And God's like, you have no idea. I don't, need a, I don't need you to build me a house. I don't need you to like earn, do all this stuff for me because God, though he is so amazing, he humbles himself and he lives in tents with his people. God wants to hang out and literally camp with you. God wants to be with you. God wants to humble himself. He's not too far off like, no, come up here. God is like, I'm coming down there to be with you. And this may sound familiar. Some of you may know John 1.14, which says this, and the word, which is God, became flesh and tabernacled among us. You guys know when God really was like, I'm gonna pitch a tent? When he became a human being and lived with this world full of sinners so that he could bring us to God. Guys, Jesus came, and that word tabernacle, literally, it means to pitch a tent. Jesus came, God came, and wanted to hang out with you and be with you. God loves his people so much that he wants to like, I'm going to sleep in a tent with them. And the only problem with the old system and the tabernacle was there's this veil, right, that separated. Yeah, God wants to be with us, but like, if I cross that veil, I die. But Jesus came to once and for all tear that veil so that we could fully be in the presence of God. And not only that, you guys, right now you, if you're a Christian, are the house of God. You know, God has three persons, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is like, is God. Guess where the Holy Spirit, God, wants to live right now? In his people. You, your body, literally your body is the house of of God. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's honestly ridiculous. Wherever you go, you run off to just sin against God. He's coming with you. He's with you. You're not getting away from him. He is in you and with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you because he literally lives. He pitched his tent in you, in your body. God is with you. And so God says, I want you to remember, I love you so much that I want to be with you. I'm coming to be with you. And the last point is this, you guys. God says, remember, the promised land is coming. Because Israel lived in these tents. And do you know what's crazy? They would live in these tents and they would go right up to the edge of the promised land and they could see it. They could literally be like, that's where we're supposed to go. And God's like, all right, 25 more years. And then they would just march on by in the wilderness. And they would just wait and wait and wait for the promised land, for a true home. You guys, right now, all of our souls are longing to be home where things are okay. You guys, I don't know if you all have like what your relationship is like with your parents, but some of you probably have like decent parents with moms who still like to take care of you. One of the hardest things of growing up is like, like, what should I eat tonight? And it's like, man, 
It's not what my mom made me. And you're just like, here you are. But how good is it when you like go back home and all of a sudden you're just like, I can just lay here and my mom's gonna like make something that I like. And the house is, the house is bigger. And there's like maybe a pool in the backyard. And you're like, man, this is nice. You guys, our soul just longs to be home, to be at home in the promised land where everything is okay. And there's no more tents and there's no more suffering. You guys, last place we're going to turn and we're going to end here is turn to Revelation 21. I'm going to read the first five verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Even like my record collection, that's sad to me, but it's gone. And, I, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Because that's where we're headed. If you have put your trust in Jesus and his blood that he shed for your sins, that's your future. You will actually have God wipe away your tears and give you a new body and a new home. And there won't be any more doubt and there won't be any more suffering. There won't be any more struggling with sin and saying no to temptation. There won't be any question, is God real? Because you could like look at him and he'll be right there. That's your future. That's your future, to be with God. And so until that day, it could be tonight, we need to remember that we were slaves and Jesus set us free. We need to remember that God is with us in the wilderness. We need to remember this wilderness is not our home. This tent is not our home. God is with us until that day and we will get to the promised land. Ugh you're going to get to the promised land. You will get to the promised land in the presence of Jesus. There's nothing better than that. And so we're going to spend some time doing the, the, the closest thing we can pretty much get right now, and it's worship him, fix our eyes on him. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He's enthroned on our praises. So as we worship him, the Holy Spirit just does this thing where like he meets with us, 
So we're going to do that. We're going to, together, we're going to look to the Lord. And you may be in a wilderness. You may not be in a good place, but just be with the people of God as we fix our eyes on God and look to that day and that day that is coming. We have these carpets up here just because it's nice to just like lay down if that's what you need. We're going to have prayer teams who would love to pray for you, love to like confess your sin. It, It may feel like slavery. You guys, one of the quickest ways out is to confess it, bring it into the light. Remember what Jesus said. We have communion up here to remember that Jesus was broken for you. And we're just going to worship and seek his face. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you set us free from our slavery. Thank you that though this is just a tent in the wilderness, we're going to get to the promised land. We're going to see you. All of everything that is hard will be gone. And so right now, Lord, we remember, remember that you are with us. You make your tent with us. Holy Spirit, you've, you are in us. Even if we don't feel you, that's, that's, something's off in our body, it's this broken tent, but you are here. Your presence is here. You are good. You are trustworthy. And so we are going to choose to remember and proclaim that you are a good God and you are with us. And you will never forsake us. Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be. So Lord, would you just fix our eyes on your truths and your promises and ultimately on you, Lord. We want to seek your face right now.